listening to the Elim Church Northampton podcast. This message was recorded live as part of our regular Sunday service. We know that this is a great investment into your life. So tune in and give it a listen. For more information, visit elimnorthampton.com. Wow. Well, it's going to be an amazing day on Saturday. Please pray if you're not attending. Please pray for the day. I think there's around 54 um, other churches that's gathering, uh, representing uh, over 900 people that's coming on Saturday. And uh, we do believe that people will encounter God, and, and I believe that many will come to Christ for the first time. Okay, if you've got your Bible, let's continue our theme, Better Together. I'm going to continue from last week's message of the story of the four guys carrying um, their paralyzed friend to Jesus. So Mark 2, if you want to just look at the first scripture, it says, Some men came um, bringing to him a paralyzed man, in Mark 2, verse 3 to 5, and um, carried by four men, since they could not get to, to Jesus because of the crowd. And they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through and then lowered the man that was lying on the mat. When you think about this, this particular story, it's so important for us to understand our mission, our purpose, that together, not only are we trying to bring people that doesn't know Jesus to the feet of Jesus, uh, but we're also wanting to help one another do that. How many of you know that when you come to Christ and you find faith in Christ, that you still need some support and help to keep focused on Jesus and his purpose for our lives? It's so difficult to say, oh, now I'm a Christian. I don't need any, anybody to help me. Uh, I can do this all on my own. How many, you know, in, this, in the room and online, that you know that times can be difficult and you just need someone to come and help you to touch God. And so I want to talk about how important that is for us as a church, as for you as individuals, how we need to make sure that we are connected together, that we are surrounded by some people who will help us get to the feet of Jesus in our lives. You know, when you look at your life and you look at the, the voices that you listen to and the relationships that you are in, you will be determined whether or not those voices or those relationships are actually helping you to get to Jesus or those same voices and relationships are actually um, disabling you from coming to Christ. It is important, and I know that we've got different kinds of relationships. And so if, you're, if, you, are, if, you, are, if you are in a context where you are not getting encouraged to follow Jesus, then please find some people within our church and around your life to help you to spur you on so you can get closer to Jesus. And you know, when you think about our own lives, it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to be immobilized by people who are, are in no way wanting to serve God or the purpose of God. The voices can stop you 
And the relationships can stop you doing all that God has got for your life. Did you know that? And so it's really important. It says these guys, this guy was paralyzed. When you look at the, the definition of that, it means incapable to move towards. And so we can be in relationships and the voices that are around our lives can affect us that way that we're incapable to move towards the things of God, to move forward. It means immobilized, in other words, inactive. I know lots of Christians that are inactive because of relationship problems, not only within the body of Christ, but the negativity that has come into their world. And then it says this, powerless, not empowered to do what God has called us to do. There's a few things I want to bring to you today that we'll, we need to be aware of. Peter would say to be alert, to watch out for in our personal lives, and also in our corporate life as a fellowship. Some things that we need to make sure that we are guarding and keeping um, number one in our lives. The first thing is this, that we must make sure that we guard living by the truth. Living by the truth. Because the New Testament church had lots of infiltrators that would try and knock them off their purpose in God. And if, if we're not careful in this in our culture right now, in, in all the things that's happening, we've got to make sure that we are living and guarding the truth of the gospel. Galatians 5 says, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? When you look at some people, especially believers, when you ask them why they shipwreck their faith, it's because someone or something has cut in their lives and now it stopped them from obeying the truth. Galatians helps us a bit further and it says this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to try and make us slaves. You know, we have to be really alert because even in church life, there can be people who will try and bring some kind of teaching that will, will come to actually not give you freedom, but also put you back in slavery. There is no different in the New Testament. And so you have to be careful who you align yourself with, who you listen to when it comes to the, the biblical way of living and Christ's message. And so in those days, they were trying to get them to be circumcised so they could add to their salvation. The Apostle Paul was saying, if you allow that to happen to your life, you'll no longer be free, but you'll come back into slavery. And so when you look at Timothy, he also says this about our culture and the time of now. He says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires... They will gather around them a greater number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. You know, what, what disturbs me here is that Timothy and Paul saying to Timothy, there'll be a great number of teachers now, that can mean secular teaching, but he's talking about here people who call themselves teachers in the body of Christ, who will bring teaching to the church 
to bring teaching, to, uh, to appease them, to, to say this is the kind of life that you can live. And he talks about that their itching ears want to hear. In the words, that will compromise their faith, but will say that's okay to do that. We'll compromise the doctrine and fundamentals of the Bible so we can appease the culture. So we have to make sure that we are in a church that is, is absolutely rooted on the foundations of the Bible. They're not going to be deviated by culture or opinion. And so I want to say to you, it says this, which is what disturbs me too. It says a great number of teachers. That, that means that sometimes that we can be outnumbered in what we say is actually truth. So you can have 10 preachers that is preaching something that's not accurate and probably two that's saying actually what is accurate in the scriptures. And if we haven't got discernment, if we're not rooted in our, in our word, then we can get deceived and it can be hindered in our walk with God. I know that because if you look back to the Old Testament, when God promised the Israelites the promised land, they sent some spies out. Interesting to know that when they came back, 10 of them gave a negative report of what God said to them. I'm going to give you the land. And they come back and said, no, it's too big, too many giants, too many problems. And only two of them, Caleb and Joshua, stood up and said, we can surely do it. Yeah, hallelujah, but when you read the, when you read the story... That generation never entered the promised land. Only two of them did. Every one of them died in the wilderness. Why? Because they listened to the wrong voice. They listened to a lie. God said it. They didn't believe it. Only two of them did. Only Joshua and Caleb entered the promised land. The whole generation of them that didn't and believed the ten spies died in the wilderness. Isn't that a shock? That the people of God can be talked out of their destiny, can be talked out of the purpose of God. So there's some things that we need to make sure that we keep steadfast in our life. The first thing is that we must keep our eyes on Jesus, okay? Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father except by me. So Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to stick by the truth, stick to me. Stick close to me, and then you won't get deceived. So you've got to stick close to Jesus and his word. The Bible says the Jews who had believed him said, said uh, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So you keep close to Jesus and you keep close to his word, rooted in the teaching of Christ and the Bible, and that truth will keep you free, walking in the purpose of God. And then thirdly, then there's another, a fourth one, uh, obviously John 17 says, sanctify them by truth, your word is truth. You see, if a church ever tells you or a preacher ever tells you that only part of the Bible is true, we're in trouble. I want to tell you, all of it is true. All of it 
is God breathed. And we must live our lives by the word of God. That is our bedrock, our foundation. Christ as the cornerstone and his word. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to us by Jesus so he can live within us, bring life to us, and also lead us into all truth. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, I love this, don't you? That when we were worried about whether we're going to get deceived or not. Well, listen, we've got Jesus, we've got the word of God, and we've got the Holy Spirit. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. I love the security in if we're rooted in Jesus as our focus, his word and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And then fourthly, those who teach sound doctrine. You know, listen, if you're going to find a church, make sure you find a church where they will teach the Bible. You know, in a way that's not too complicated for you to live out but also got to be truthful. 1 Timothy says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. So you have to make sure that you are in line with Christ, that he is your foundation. The word of God is that we're not going to be moved. Led by the, the prompting and the leading of the Holy Spirit, who will lead us into all truth, and also that we align ourselves with godly, sound teaching from those who bring the word. It's really important for, for you as a Christian that you are aligning yourself with these things. So the first thing that you have to guard in your life is that you have to live by the truth, and Jesus said, I am the truth. When you do that, then you're going to fulfill all that God wants for you. Because these guys, let me just say, these guys had one purpose. They had to get their friend to Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one that can really set you free. Every other religious leader can't do that, even though they may be good leaders. There's only one person that can get you to heaven. And he said that himself. And that is Jesus. And when you know the truth, that's what we're talking about Jesus now. When you know him, the truth will set you free. Hallelujah. Secondly, the things that we've got to align ourselves to is that we must live godly standards. I know so many Christians have missed out on the purpose of God because they choose to live ungodly. And through sinful choices, they're now out of the purpose and plan of God. And so I want to encourage you that we're not to live perfect lives, but we are to live a wholly different life to the life before we knew Jesus. And some of the choices that we make in our life or the people that we have in our life, if those relationships are not helping you to get closer to Jesus and they're trying to take you away from him and his standards, then you've got to be alert because Satan will use people to drag you away from what is right and true and righteous. So be on your guard. As Peter would say, as many will follow their deprived, uh, their deprived conduct and will bring the way of truth into dispute. 
When you talk, we think about the church today, many people are talking about what is accepted, what is right now, what is moved from the Bible, what no longer is relevant. It's absolute nonsense and deception. So we have to live a standard now that Christ has come into our lives and we've got to make sure that we are surrounded with people, even though you may be in a workplace with ungodliness. You've got to find a few people that will come around your life who are living a righteous, godly life. Not a religious, perfectionist life, but a righteous life that wants to live for God in his ways. That will not cut corners for their own gain, but want honour God with their life and everything they do with integrity and honour for his name. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I want to tell you it's okay to be in the world trying to witness for Jesus with people that doesn't know Jesus. It's okay to have friends that doesn't know Jesus. But it's not okay to be influenced by ungodliness. It's not okay for you to hang around with people that when you go in that company, that instead of Jesus being influenced to them, that their lifestyle is being influenced on you. If you're not strong enough, don't go until you are strong enough. When he says go into all the world, he says also have some common sense because some of us online and in here are not strong enough to carry on with the crowd that you're walking with because every time that you walk with them, they end up polluting your walk with God. So it's okay to be with them as long as you are not getting contaminated by their lifestyles and being sucked in to the way they want to live and, and coax you to do it when you know that you shouldn't be doing it because when you leave it, you know you feel all messed up. And so you've got to get around people that will help you grow and be strong. So when you get into that company, then, then they'll be more influenced by the Christ that's in you than by the carnality that's in them. Does that make sense? And so we've got to be wise who we walk with. I'm not saying disabandon all your friends because we're supposed to witness to those people in our families but you've got to make sure you're strong enough and filled enough and have knowledge enough that you know when I go into that environment, I am not going to go back to my old ways because I'm getting overtaken by intimidation because we're not strong enough to say I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that anymore. And let me tell you, it takes courage to stand in a crowd when you're outnumbered as a Christian to say, no, I'm not going to partake in that. Not because I'm religious, it's because it's something that I want to decide for myself. And some of us can't even decide for ourselves because we get overpowered by other people's opinions and approval. And it's so dangerous. The only person that you need to have approval for is him. To honour him with all your life. And then Paul says, I beg you, when I come... I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. The Bible is clear that as Christians now that we're supposed to live differently from the world out there, not religiously, different in a way that it's tasty for people to know why is your life different that I want to follow. We're going to make it easier for people to follow Jesus, not harder. Religion doesn't attract anybody, but Christ-likeness does. 
And so Jesus, as in his wisdom, has given us tools to live a godly life because you can't live this kind of life on your own without the presence of God and the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And Titus tells us, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. So the grace of God is not only there to save you, but to help you live right, now you're saved. His grace, his undeserved favor can empower you to live a different life. Now the Spirit of God lives in you, one day at a time, because none of us are perfect. And then 2 Peter says, his divine power, the Holy Spirit, has given us everything we need for a godly life, for the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So we have the grace of God and we have the power of God available to us so we can say no. That's all it takes, my friends. You say, I'm overcome by this temptation. Listen, you have the authority and you have the grace and you have the power to say no. You don't have to blame the devil. You don't have to blame your heritage. You don't have to blame your ancestors because he's talking about this present age. Now that you are a new creation, now that Jesus saved you with his blood and set you free, you have the authority and the power to resist the devil and say no. No. Even though everything in me wants to say yes. No. No. I'm going to honor God and his word. And then the devil has to flee from you. And so we have to, two things, live by the truth, guard it. Secondly, try and live a godly life. Get around some people that live different standards. I'm not talking about religious standards that put you under law that you can't live. I'm talking about Christians that's alive and well and free and liberating. And when you get around them, you want to be around them even more. When you're around religious people, you don't want to be around them at all. Because they make you feel bad. And, they, and they'll help you make them feel good. A religious person will always tell you how good they are and how bad you are. Come on, speak to me. How you're not living, how you how you're not living like me. Where free person will help you to live for Jesus and pray for you and encourage you and strengthen you, not tell you how good they are and tell you how bad you are, but will tell you, come on, you can do it. Christ has given you authority, Christ has given you grace, Christ has given you power that you can stand and say no. And to live for God and say yes to him in your life. And thirdly, as we come to close, is by being an encourager. Actually, the title should have been by, be, by being discouraged. But I wanted to be more positive than negative. Because you know, you can get discouraged from circumstances. But you can get discouraged from people. 
and people in the church and people that call themselves Christians and people outside that doesn't call themselves Christians. But you can get discouraged. But we have to be a people of encouragement if we're going to actually pursue Jesus and help one another get to him, fulfill all the purpose of God because you cannot do it on your own. We need one another. And so um, if you look to Numbers, it says this, after they went up to the valley of Eschol, and viewed the land. This is two tribes, if you read that story. They discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given to them. Discouragement. I wonder if you've come to church this morning or online and you feel discouraged. And discouraged because somebody else has discouraged you not to go for God or not to do what's in your heart for him. Or, or saying to you, you're stupid, you never can do this and do that. And they have discouraged you. And when you continue to read some of the things that discourage us in the scriptures, we can see from 1 Samuel, when David had a passion to serve God as a young boy. And he saw Goliath and he thought, why is nobody doing nothing about big mouth? And God had put something in him of boldness and future leadership and kingship. And he thought, I can't, I can't allow him to keep talking about God like this. Somebody's got to do something, and if nobody will, I will. And so David there is, is talking about why is nobody dealing with this person? And then it says his older brother heard him speaking, and he said he burned with anger at him. You know something, when somebody has a passion to serve God, you don't want to get around angry people because they don't want the best for you. When you share your dream with somebody and they get angry and think, how can you do that? You, don't, you want to be far away from them kind of people because they'll never help you to your future. His older brother should have been empowering the younger brother, not discouraging him. And he was angry because God never chose him to do it. He was angry because he had never had the boldness to shut the mouth of Goliath. And so he got angry at his young brother and he said, what are you doing here? Why have you come down here and why? Who do you think you are with a few sheep? Isn't it amazing when people come around you and belittle you? You don't want to hang around that kind of person for long. You want people to big you up and, and speak over you what God sees in you. If you hang around and people keep being little in you, you'll end up walking little. And he said, who do you think you are, David, with a few sheep? Who do you think you are? Do you think you can do something with this man? You've only come to watch the battle. And in David's heart, he was saying, no, I haven't come to watch and spectate. I haven't come to a meeting just as I've come to do battle for God. I've come to do great things for God. And I'm not allowing your negativity and discouragement to stop what God's put inside of my heart. And you have to be careful as a follower of Jesus. Because the enemy will send people around you to discourage you in your life. Only and the root problem is because they're angry about your call. They're angry about your potential. They're angry about the favor on your life. They're angry that you've got a purpose wanting to serve God. They're angry because God has overlooked them because of their anger. And then we look to Saul. This is the leader uh, this was the king that was supposed to lead Israel into battle. And he was sitting under a pomegranate tree while this enemy was shouting at Israel and, and defiling the armies of God. And David said, what are we going to do about it? 
And so David, he tried to dress him with his armor, but it's interesting to know that when David went out and slayed Goliath and took off his head, this is what the Bible says about Saul. Because when he came back, the people, the army, and some of the families were singing songs. And they sung a song and they said, Saul has slain his thousands, but, but David his ten thousands. And Saul didn't like the song. He didn't like it that David got more praise than him. You see, jealousy will kill your future. If you can't embrace the praise of God blessing others, you're in trouble. If you can't celebrate the blessing of others around your life, you're in trouble. And the Bible says, when David fought for him and set his army free for him, all that Saul could do was keep his eye on him. And if you read a bit further, he tried to throw a spear at him because he had a jealous eye on David. You get around jealous people, my friends, will kill your future because they won't want you to succeed even though they'll smile at you. Now, not, they may not be bad people, but you can't hang around the jealousy until they deal with it. You know something I found out in the body of Christ, especially in circle of ministers, that, is, that, that you know people can really easily mourn with those that mourn. Oh, God bless you. But when you are having victory, when you're, having, when you're doing something great for God, it's very rare they can celebrate with you. Competition, who's got the most, who's got this, that kills the life of God. We have to celebrate if God is doing something in another church, in somebody else's life, in somebody else's ministry. You've got to surround yourself with people that want the best for you. And not, will not be jealous when God anointing comes in you and, and takes you to places where they can't go themselves. Because in the same story and a great example in 1 Samuel 18, Jonathan, the son of Saul. I love this story because it helps us to know how we need to live when the blessing of God hits a church or a person or a vision or dream for a future for your life. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe that he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him, David was so successful that Saul gave him high ranking in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. Jonathan was in line to take the throne after his dad. And here he sees David with the anointing of God on his life, with the favour of God on his life, with a call to kingship. And Jonathan had a choice. He could have been like his dad and had jealousy because he's now taking my rightful place. I by birth should be king. But here this shepherd boy is now God's choice. 
to take my seat. I need to make a decision. And what does Jonathan do? I love this. If the church could get this, we would have revival. Instead of Jonathan resisting David, he takes off everything that will help David fulfill his future as king. Even his sword. Wow. If you can find somebody like that around your life, it will change your future. Somebody that's willing to give their resources to help you to be successful, even though it means it's taking your position. That's the kind of spirit we need for the future in our lives. That we are not intimidated, we're not jealous, we're not angry, but we celebrate when God raises somebody up who can do a better job than us and we will empower them and equip them to go even further. That's what Jesus wants in his church. And that's what we need in our lives. I want to tell you when the four men carried this paralyzed man, they did not do it for their own benefit. They wasn't going to church for themselves. They were using their resources to help their friend get to Jesus and find freedom. Just knowing that people want us to succeed is enough. Just knowing that the people around your life want you to succeed is a strength, is enough. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. These men put their own interests down for a season to help this man get closer to Jesus. I say for a season, why? Because they did have to let him go when they put him at the feet of Jesus. You see, sometimes we overdo it. We try and take the place of Jesus and we burn ourselves out. Grace lifts when we try to do God's part. Yes, we help people. We put others first. But at the same time, we need to know our boundaries. And also, let others know your boundaries. Because if you don't, some people will take advantage of your goodness. And you will get worn out. Also, you must let people lean on Jesus for themselves after you've helped them get closer to him. You cannot be Jesus and you cannot be God for them. They carried him to church, then he walked home alone. And some of you in this room and some of you are online are still trying to carry people that is not your responsibility 
that they're God's responsibility. All you have to do is just get them to his feet. And we're burned out and we're suffocated and our lives are not our own because you are doing something that God's not called you to do. All you have to do is get him to his feet and let God do the rest. And then he got his mat and he went home. But unfortunately, some of you online and some of you are still carrying somebody's mat that you don't need to be carrying. They need to carry it themselves. Don't complain if you're overstepping your boundaries of your responsibility with your family, with your children, with your spouse, with your work colleagues, with Christians in church. Know where you stay so you can breathe and have a life. Because sometimes you're not responsible to do the things that only God is responsible for. I want you to know that if we're going to make it in this Christian world, then we're going to have to carry some people. We're going to have to carry each other when we're going through difficult times. We're going to have to be there and lift some weight for one another. And also, if we're going to make it, you have to also be willing to be carried. Some of you might be so strong now carrying others, but there'll be a day that you have to be carried and you're going to need a bit of humility because you're not the source of all life, that you're human and there's going to be a day in your life where you're going to need help and you're going to need some other people around your life and carry you and help you for a season until you can get strong on your own two feet. Galatians says, carry each of us burdens and, it, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. But listen, but we should not be a burden to others. We need to carry each of us burdens, but we should not be a burden because Galatians 6 says, for each one should carry their own load. Have to get a balance in our lives that I can do what I can do, but then you must take responsibility and get up and take your mat and go home. I ain't coming with you. That's your responsibility. And so we have to learn to be encouraged three quick ways, four quick ways, and then we're going to pray. First way, how can you be an encourager? How can you encourage one another? First of all, by meeting together, by coming together as the body of Christ, meeting together. In the New Testament, they met daily, and then they also met in the temple courts and from house to house. We've got to surround ourselves with fellowship so we can have some sensible fellowship, some strong fellowship, some people that will encourage us. Hebrews 10 says, do not give up meeting together. Our some are in the habit of doing. Don't get into habit of not coming together in fellowship. That's Bible. Because you can't get strength unless you're around some people to help you. But encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching. Encourage one another. And we only can do that when we come together as the body. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart and turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as it is called today. First of all, we can encourage one another by coming together as the body of Christ and, and, and helping one another. Secondly, by serving together, by serving one another. I long to see you so that I may impart to you, Paul says, some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I 
may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. That we come with our gift and our strength and we come to impart it into one another so you can be strong. So when you're strong and I'm weak, you can give your gift back to me so I can be strong. That's why you can't live the Christian life alone. You need the body of Christ that's willing to come together to know one another and to share their strength when you're feeling weak. That's how it's supposed to work. And so we've got to do that. And then thirdly, to speak life over one another. Speak life together. 1 Thessalonians says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. How many of you know that you can be discouraged by one word from somebody? One word can just ruin you. You know, I can have 10 people say great sermon and one person say it was rubbish. And I will go home and think about the rubbish comment. Why? Because there's power in our words. There is power in discouragement, but there's also power in encouragement. And we've got to begin to speak life to one another. Do not let any unawesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up, not tearing each other down according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. There is power in your words in your marriage. There is power in words in your relationship. There is power in words when you have authority to do what I'm doing over a congregation. There is power in the word to either discourage you or deflate you or to pick you up and encourage you to serve God with all of your heart and all of your mind. Joshua, God said to him, have I not commanded you? This is a word for someone. The worship team can come back now. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. God knew the power of words. That when you're facing hardship, when you're facing faith steps, when you're facing a giant, what did he, he know that his church needed? He needed a word from God. Say, come on, do not be discouraged. Come on, I'm with you. Come on, you can do it. I want to say to you in this room, whoever you are online, I want to tell you that if God is with you, then you can do it. If God is for you, then who can be against you? I don't care what you're facing. Do not be discouraged. Do not fear, for God is with you. And then we have to pray together. The Apostle Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, join with me in my struggle by praying to God for me. I love the Apostle Paul. He planted loads of churches, saw loads of miracles, done amazing things, went through the hardest of hard things, and then he would have the humility to say, would you please pray for me because I'm struggling? Pray for me because I'm struggling. There's no weakness in telling somebody to pray for you. It's only strength that will come, that we stand together. Peter was in prison but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Ephesians says, and praying the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Prayer is massively important. Stand with me. Stand with me. What time is it? I've got a few minutes. 
We've got a few minutes. Father, we pray right now as I release this last verse over us, that you release us today. As I was coming to close, I, I just thought about the prayer of Jabez. How many knows about the prayer of Jabez? Everybody heard the prayer of Jabez. There's a book wrote about it. There's a series wrote about it, wasn't the Donna? And a big deal about it. And, and this is what the prayer of Jabez is. Jabez cries out to the Lord God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I'll be free from pain. And it says, And God granted his requests. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Jason, I want that prayer to be enlarged. I said, how can that be? He said, take an example from the four men. I want to tell you what they prayed, their kind of prayer. I'm not saying this is authentic from heaven. I'm not saying that this is what actually happened. But I felt impressed to say to you today that these four guys changed that kind of prayer. And they say, God, would you bless him? Lord, would you enlarge his territory? Lord, would you keep him from harm and grant him peace? And God granted their request for him. And so now we change Jabez's prayer to be a me prayer to a you prayer. And we can get around one another this morning and we can pray the best for you, that God will enlarge you and bless you and begin to deliver you from all your pain, from whatever you're facing, that God, as we come together, better together, instead of praying a prayer just for me, we're going to pray a prayer just for you. And God will answer our requests.